16 verses 13 and following it reads from the English Standard Version now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the Son of Man is and they said some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets and he said to them but who do you say that I am who do you say that I am who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Woo. But my father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and all the people said amen amen so I'm going to start a series uh, today it's going to take a while to unpack the series uh, the series is upon a branch of theology called ecclesiology ecclesiology so there are several ologies under the doctrine the study of God um, and one of those is ecclesiology ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church the doctrine of the church everything the Bible teaches about the church its origin its purpose its function its mission its gift its grace its assignment and its ultimate destiny Everything the Bible teaches about the church falls under the heading ecclesiology. And so I'm going to talk about the church. The church. How exciting is that? It wasn't a minute ago, but I said how exciting is that? And all of a sudden, like, ah. And the reason I guess the subject lacks the luster, the enthusiasm is that this word church has come to be associated with a number of negatives. Certainly when you look at church history, the history of organized religion, organized Christianity, um, it is stained with all sorts of darkness. And it is unfortunate that the baby has been thrown out with the bathwater because the church was clearly Christ's idea. Hello? The church was Christ's idea. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Notice he didn't say, I'll build your church. Y'all ain't going to help. And he didn't say, 
you'll build my church. He said, I'll build my church. What I'll give you are the keys to the kingdom. And you will have authority to open and close doors, spiritual doors. Authority to open and close spiritual doors. But as you open and close spiritual doors, I will build my church. And so I want to talk about the church of Jesus Christ. I want to come at it from a spiritual angle, not from a sociological perspective. Ooh, this is good, right? You know what I mean by sociological perspective? I mean that as, a, as an institution in society, the church means something to us. But I don't want to address the institution of the church and its role in society. I want to address the spirit of the church and the mystery of the church. The spirit of the church and the mystery of the church. Because so long as I feel like what I'm connected to is a sociological phenomenon, mm -hmm, it is very easy to disconnect and unplug. Because you assess its value and its worth based on its sociological contribution to your quality of life. Come on, act like you know. I'm, I'm doing good. Huh? <laughs> right? If this is a club, an organization, a social gathering, then I can assess its value based on its contribution to my quality of life. But the day you get a revelation of the spirit and mystery of the church, well, you get really happy that you're in it and not outside. <laughs> yeah. Happy that I'm in it. Warts and all. Help me now. I don't think Noah's Ark was the most comfortable place. I don't think it was a cruise liner with all the free meals and the free drinks and all the entertainment. Can I be real with you today? I think it stank to the highest and to the lowest. However, I think you were infinitely better off in the ark than outside of it. So I'm going to go very deep and my preaching itself will be an act of spiritual warfare. Meaning, I am personally wearing a breastplate of righteousness as I approach the subject. And I might look like I'm holding a mic, but I'm actually holding a shield of faith and a sword of the spirit. And I have put on a helmet of salvation. 
My feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and my loins are girt about with the truth. And I'm very reliant on your prayers because I'm aware, thanks to social media and thanks to this wonderful camera that Marvin has pointing in my face, that whatever I say here will be heard elsewhere. And so I come as a warrior to do battle with misinformation, disinformation, and the generation that is saved and lost at the same time. Thank you, Maestro. You are a gem. Don't talk. <laughs> My man. <laughs> So I'm going to talk about houses, tribes, and territories. Houses, tribes, and territories. And I think it's important to note that the New Testament is the correct interpretation of the Old Testament. That the meaning of the Old Testament only becomes evident in the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, Christ is concealed, whereas in the New, he is revealed. And God's plan of salvation was kept a secret, a secret from the foundation of the world. Actually, the cross was the starting point of all creation. What? Yeah, so before God said, let there be light, or before God started to make things, he first made a provision for the inevitable. What? A provision for the inevitable. What's inevitable is that if you give beings free moral agency, then you must accept that they may use that agency against your will. Isn't that right? I think every parent knows what I'm talking about. You might wish for a little robot, but you accept that this little being has free moral agency and will need correction, instruction, guidance, discipline. Oh my gosh, that was too loud. That was too loud. Call the police. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you accept that, the, that because you, you understand this and you're very naive if you think that your children are just going to embrace all your values, keep all your standards, and go in exactly the direction that you point them in. You're really naive. 
or at least in denial about your own story. <laughs> so the starting point from God's view is that he made a provision for the inevitable. Sin was inevitable. Sin was going to happen by virtue of the fact that humans would have free moral agency, would be free to say yes, Lord, free to say no, Lord. So he makes the provision, and the provision is the cross. And the cross is the perfect solution because the cross allows God to show kindness to sinners without compromising his own holiness and integrity. Because you can show kindness through compromise. Isn't that right? You can, you, can, you can just sweep under the carpet and overlook. But in the end, you pay a dear price because you have taught rebellion to the child. So God's provision was to say, I'm going to be able to treat you as if you have never sinned. <laughs> I'll be able to bless you, help you, support you, deal with you as if you had never sinned. And I can do that without compromising my own standards. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your sin debt upon myself and pay for it. The cross is Christ paying your debt. Hello? The cross is Christ paying your debt, which leaves you indebted to him. Fair? I owe it all to Jesus. But God also knew that everyone would not accept that provision. And he had a plan. And, and to be fair, God's plan for those that don't accept the provision, okay, in the fundamentalist evangelical movement, they'll tell you what that plan is. I'll say, well, the plan for anyone that doesn't accept Jesus is hellfire. I know I'm on international TV right now and I'm going to say I don't know God's plan for all the people that say that reject Jesus I don't know I know that there is a place called hell reserved for the devil and his angels Woo but I don't know that people born in a culture ain't going to hell that's right, look at me with your religious face, I don't care. I don't know that people born in a culture having no access to information about Jesus or people whose introduction to Jesus was a misrepresentation of him. I don't know what God's plan, I just trust that a loving, just God has a plan. So I don't put people in hell and I don't put people in heaven. In my head, turn around and say, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm going to heaven. There are some Christian antichrists in this world. 
Uh, you say you're a Christian means it. What does that mean? <laughs> Someone says they're not a Christian. What does that mean? Paul said, are you a Jew because you're circumcised? What if without circumcision people are doing what you should be doing with your circumcision and you with your circumcision are doing what uncircumcised people do, which one of you is the true Jew? So I've given up putting people in heaven and hell. You may have noticed that, some of you that knew me for a long time. Because huh? when I got saved, that was the only message in the church. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell. And even when you thought you were going to heaven, you're still going to hell. Because the righteous are scarcely saved. And even after you've done your best, depart from me, I never knew you. <laughs> when do you ever get saved? You're never saved. God has a plan. I want to focus on God's plan for those that believe the gospel. Because that's the true church. The true church, the word, the Greek word church is ecclesia. Everyone say ecclesia. That's one of the easier words to get your mouth around, ecclesia. But it means the called out ones. The called out ones. It means the assembly of the called. And the word was used not just to describe a religious assembly, but it was a, it was a popular phrase to describe the assembly of people who responded to the town clerk who would basically ring the bell or announce there's going to be a town hall meeting. Everyone needs to come out to the meeting. There's going to be an administrative or political meeting. You need to come out. And everyone that came out and came together were the assembly of the cold. They were the ecclesia. Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. And it will be comprised of people that hear my call and respond. Yes, they come at the call. So far, so good? It's all right. That's what we do in church. We cry, we shout. It's so cool. It's cool. So, so I am in the church not because I joined a church, not because I was born to a Christian family. I'm only in the church if I've personally had a call from God. I'm only in the church if I personally have a revelation of Jesus. Not who men say he is, but who do you say I am? What is your revelation of Jesus? You have a personal revelation of Jesus. You believe the gospel of salvation. You have come as a result of that call. You are now part of the assembly, the assembly of God. Woo! And that assembly of God in the New Testament really is the fulfillment of the models, the templates, the ensamples and examples that we have in the Old Testament. 
The New Testament is the correct interpretation of the Old Testament. So if you see in the Old Testament a family of God, a household of God, that house is modeling, representing what the house is going to be. Because in the Old Testament, Christ is foreshadowed mm -hmm. and prefigured. And what casts a shadow is an object standing in light. So the object is standing in light. It casts the shadow. Christ is the one standing in the unapproachable light that God is. And his presence has cast a his presence at the cross has cast a shadow backwards in history. And that's why everything in the Old Testament points to, alludes to, prefigures, foreshadows Christ and his finished work. Everything. Now, most scholars can see Christ in the Old Bible. You can see him. You see the types, the shadows, the prefigurings. But what you need to grasp to get the series right is that whatever you are reading about Christ, whatever you're seeing about Christ, the Christ is not just a person. Woo. Because that person is the head of a body that is attached to him in much the same way as your head is attached to your body. So that whatever you see of Christ, you should also see of his body, the church. His body, the church. What up? Seven. Gee. You're going to get what I mean by that afterwards. So if you want to understand the New Testament church, start with its origins in the Old Testament and you'll start to understand how God sees it. So are you ready? Are you sure you're ready? If you're feeling a little bit bored right now, then that's good because I'm going to enjoy watching you wake up. Oh yeah, because I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going so far in. So, what you have in the Old Testament is the house of Israel as God's covenant people. The whole house of Israel. And when the Bible says house, it means family. The family of people descended from Israel. Israel is the new name of Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac, Isaac, the son of Abraham. Abraham is the father of a faith movement. And that faith movement works its way into Isaac, who inherits the mandate, passes on the baton to Jacob, but Jacob has 12 sons. And the 12 sons become 12 tribes. And one of the sons has two sons, 
to a Gentile woman in Egypt, that's Joseph, has Ephraim and Manasseh, and they are incorporated into the whole concept, grafted in so that there are not just 12 tribes, there are 14 tribes. Okay? Well, each tribe is made up of households. What? Households. Yeah. So, I think you remember Gideon saying, my father's house is the least in Manasseh. What does he mean? He means that we are a family of the tribe of Manasseh. Okay. So, there are houses, there are tribes. And when it came to the promised land, the promised land, each tribe was allotted a territory. You there? Allotted a territory. So the promise on each tribe is different. The outcome for each tribe is different because they inherit a different piece of land in the promised land. So I want to talk about houses, tribes, and territories. What? Houses, tribes, and territories. Why? Because the family of God in the Old Testament is made up of families, tribes, and each tribe has a unique destiny, which is its territory. And I am hereby making it clear that though there is one universal church of Jesus Christ comprised of every person who has said yes to the call of God, there are distinctions within the universal family of God. And those distinctions, if you want to understand them spiritually, you want to think of them as houses and tribes. If you want to understand them sociologically, you can think of them as fellowships and denominations and networks. But that's the sociological view that we're going to avoid. Because let me tell you, the name of your fellowship matters nothing to God. The name of your denomination does not matter to God. Your denomination is not going to heaven. Your denomination is entirely man-made. Your fellowship, to a degree, is entirely uh, of, of human construction because God doesn't see that and you're going to notice that when Jesus addresses the church in a city he addresses it as one church in a city to the angel of the church in Ephesus Sardis, Pergamos, Laodicea Paul, I'm writing to the church in Rome the church in Corinth, the church in Thessalonica. There is only one church in every city. But in that one church, there's one church in the city of London. Did you know that? God's only seeing one church in the whole city. But in that one church, there are distinctions. And the distinctions have to do with houses and tribes. And if you don't know this, what happens is you get caught up in church shopping which is the source of church hopping. And before you know it, you end up in the wrong house and in a tribe that is totally contrary to your own prophetic destiny. 
And I'm hereby making it very clear that the house you are in and the tribe that the house is set in is linked to your spiritual destiny. What? I'm going, I'm going somewhere today. I'm saying that your spiritual destiny is absolutely linked to your house and your tribe. There are no promises to individuals in the Old Testament when it comes to prophetic destiny. There is no promised land for an individual. Did you know that? The blessing of Abraham, listen carefully, is a blessing upon the families of the earth. Y'all starting to hear me? I, I go wake you up. I'm going to get so deep in just a minute, right? In your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Which means that the blessing of Abraham, which is the point of reversing the curse. The Bible says that Christ became a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham may fall upon the Gentiles. Is this making sense? Well, the blessing of Abraham is a blessing on families, which means until you find yourself in a family, you never experience the blessing of Abraham. What? I'm going to teach this. I have a revelation of this. I'm going to teach this. It's like the Lord's Prayer. Now think about the Lord's Prayer. What is the Lord's Prayer? You ready for it now? My Father, give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses. Deliver me from evil. Lead me. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Some people might as well say that. Because even though you're saying our and us, you mean me and my. Whereas the actual prayer cannot be prayed until you find yourself part of a family or a community so that you can say our father our daily bread our trespasses our leadership our deliverance from evil until there is an hour until your me and my is replaced with us and our you never really experience the destiny let me prove to you for just a moment that that the promises of God do not work for an individual. What? They work for families. What? Do you know that when Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Israel, 10 of them came back with an evil report. 10 of them said, we cannot possess this land. The obstacles are too great. Two of them said, lies. Two of them said, misinformation, false information. Let us go up at once and possess this land. We are well able to overcome it. Who are the two people? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said, we're ready to go in. But 10 of them infected the rest of them with doubt and the rest were doubtful. So two people were ready to go into the promised land 40 years before the house went into the promised land. Why did the two people have to wait for 40 years? It is because the promises are not to a 
person of Israel, but to the house of Israel. And so until the house is ready, you cannot go in. You might be personally ready to possess all kinds of things, but because God has organized his kingdom, his body into houses and tribes, you've got to infect or affect with your faith and your confidence your house. Because if the house is not ready, then individuals have to wait. Houses. You're first in a house before you even are conscious of a tribe. So let me talk about houses. Houses mean that you are a member of a family. That's right. That's Christianity. If you want to know what the best metaphor for the church, it's not a school. The best metaphor for the church is not a hospital either. It's a useful metaphor at times. And school is a useful metaphor at times. The difference is that in a hospital, I don't have to be related to the person next to me. I don't have to like the person next to me. I don't have to cooperate with the person next to me because I'm in it for me. And as soon as I get out of it what I want, I get out of the hospital. And lo and behold, some people view the church like that. I don't care about who's sitting around me. I care about me. I'm sick. I'm here to heal me. And once I'm healed, I'm off. Well done. But the promises are for houses. (laughs) Families. (laughs) Families are quite different. You might not like your siblings. Hello, somebody. (laughs) You may not like your siblings. Don't be shouting amen too enthusiastically. There are members of your extended family that you do not like. But because this is not a choice situation, it's a revelation. Family is revelation. It's not, it's not decision. Y'all ain't going to help now. Uh, you can say, I'm going to decide who my family is, or you grow to realize who your family is. You grow and you realize. So family is, starts with revelation. And that's why people are making mistakes, hopping and shopping. Because the starting point is revelation. You cannot have the destiny or the territory outside of being in a house that is in a tribe. So can I talk about the house for just a moment? Are you sure? Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Because the first If you want to know where is my spiritual house, which is what you should be thinking when you're shopping. You should be thinking of where is my spiritual house. Well, the first thing is that your spiritual house is where your spiritual father lives. Oh, God, help me now. Oh, I'm going in. Yes, I'm going in. Oh, yeah, it's not not a house. It's the house of your spiritual father. It's the house of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Your spiritual father. So hold on a second. Well, what, what do, do I need a spiritual father? What's a spiritual father? Why do I need a father? Okay. So let's begin to break this down. So number one, 
in a house, in a house in, in Israel, in ancient Israel, there, were, there was a father, there was a patriarch, there was a mother, there were children born to them, and unfortunately, there were many mothers, but that's another situation, it's another session. I'm not, not, not going to deal with that. <laughs> what we're going to deal with is the fact that you were children either by birth or you were children by adoption or you were servants in the house. Now, the servants in the house were hired, so they were effectively paid for their service. And you'll find the same within in any church community. There are some people that are there because there's a service to provide and there's a role to play and they are compensated in some way, whether it's with, by reward or by recognition, and they are there for the service that they can render. You would biblically be a servant in the house. There are others who are biologically, genetically related to the father of the house. Typically, they've either gotten saved through that person's ministry, but there is, a, there is some kind of relationship. But the beautiful thing is that if you serve well, typically what the father of the house would do is adopt you into the family. Because there's a difference between the servants and the sons. The servants may live in the house, but they have no stakeholding in the house. They have no inheritance in the house. They are not part of the legacy of that house. And so when the father says, I'm going to adopt you into the family, he's now giving you a stakeholding in the, in the estate and in the legacy of that family. So you either become a uh, you know, a, a, a child of the house by birth or by adoption. But you know that that is my home. That's father's house. Why do you need a, why, well, first of all, what even is a spiritual father? Let's just get, let's, 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 let's make this pretty clear. Uh, I'm going to make some statements here. Let's get ready for this. A spiritual father, you will know your spiritual father because his declaration or definition of you meets and matches your revelation of you. Oh, y'all ain't going to help. Your father's declaration of you will always match your revelation of you. Which means that when you have a revelation of your own who-ness, you will actually meet someone who totally agrees. Their words actually Activate and excite that potential that you believe you have. And you do not come out of there feeling smaller. You come out of there feeling bigger. You have this, there is a voice, there is a connection, a voice connection that when you hear that voice, you have a sense that everything's going to be all right. You have a sense of being protected. You have a sense of being provided for. And you have a sense that someone is interested in your success. Because you see, a spiritual father is not competing with you. You all need to help. A spiritual father is not insecure or intimidated by you. One of the hallmarks of spiritual fatherhood is that you actually see your own success in the success of your children. Your success is really a succession plan. It has really nothing to do with how big you can get. It's how big can these children be. 
Come on, somebody. A spiritual father wants you to win more than they want to win themselves. A spiritual father may have a great big car, but his dream is that your car will be bigger than his one day. A spiritual father may have a great big house, but his obsession is with the size of your house. And that's when you know that you are not under a hireling, but you're under the care of a spiritual father. And though we have many teachers, we don't have many fathers. Because a lot of people are insecure, competing with talent. You can preach and they need to suppress you, keep you down, hold you back. Because they don't really have paternal senses towards people. Uh, but when you find a spiritual father, you actually have someone who is invested in your growth and your success. And that is their magnificent obsession. You also have someone who has bandwidth enough to love you in your mess up. Y'all ain't going to help now. The prodigal left the father's house, squandered his inheritance, embarrassed the family, and yet the father's prayer is that one day he will come home. And when he does come home, I will restore him to sonship because that's my son. That's my boy. Oh, hello, somebody. So if you, when you find a spiritual father, you found someone that's going to love you through thick and thin. You find someone that's going to love you, care for you, cover you, and support you when you're doing good and when you've done bad. When you make great decisions and you've made bad decisions. Can I hear an amen from somebody? I don't know about you. I'm not shopping for a church. I want to find my spiritual house. Because I can't guarantee I'm always going to be up on my up on my feet. And yeah, let me, let me make you all feel awkward right now. In a spiritual house, sometimes it's daddy that falls on his face. Y'all ain't going to help now, but I'm going to help you feel awkward. Sometimes it's daddy Noah that's drunk and making a fool of himself in the tent. But he still needs children who are going to walk in backwards and cover up their father. We are always looking for guys to cover us. But you may have to cover a leader one day. Because church is family. Someone said, oh, your pastor, your bishop. No, stop. My dad is what you're talking about. See, when you're disconnected spiritually from a house, you can't have those feelings. But when you are spiritually connected to a house, your mindset is, if I fall, daddy will pick me up. But we're not going to even let him fall. We're just going to get around him and support him. But if he does slip through our net, we'll pick him back up again. That's the spirit of a family. That's good preaching, isn't it? I can see preachers going to repost this. <laughs> Please come and preach this in my church, Bishop. <laughs> That sounded nice, didn't it? So then I need to not sound so nice. 
and tell you that a father has the privilege of correction in your life. That actually if he cannot correct you, he is not your spiritual father. If he will not correct you, he is, is an irresponsible father. And you give to your spiritual father the privilege of correction. So if someone says, oh, bishops, bishops, my spiritual father. Really? I'm not your spiritual father because you say so. Or because you attend the house. I am your spiritual father. I will know if I am your spiritual father in the day that you disagree with me. And in the day that I disagree with you. And in the day that I have to uh, call you to order, tell you you're wrong, set you down, discipline you. Hello somebody, in the day I have to say to you, you're wrong, take it back, make an apology. Here's what the modern church will do. Whatever, what, not me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I live in a bigger church around the corner from where I live anyway. I wasn't here. I'm not even, you know, I'm not like, no. You're not a son. I'm going to scare you now. The Bible, the Bible, not bishop. Don't go out of here and say bishop was cussing up in the pulpit. The Bible calls you a bastard. Because you don't have a dad. You have no one who can correct you. And you know what happened? <laughs> That's right. Don't, be, don't, don't say Bishop did. <laughs> I said the Bible. <laughs> the King James. <laughs> huh? That's right. And I don't want to be the only one to have been guilty of, of cussing so I need you to elbow your neighbor and say no, neighbor don't be acting like a bastard up in this church right so you're all guilty now so that's it my point is that what the bible was referring to was a person who is uncorrectable, unteachable, unreproachable. You, you cannot discipline them. You can't tell them that they're wrong. And that's what we're giving birth to. Now, let me say something. In the natural, in the biological, we have all seen what happens generationally to a generation that is fatherless, that doesn't have a, the authority of a man in their life. They eventually grow up too fast. They grow up too tough, they grow up too tall and they respect nothing. They don't respect the police, they don't respect the teacher, they don't respect any authority, they don't respect elders because no one has ever taken the, 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 the board of education and applied it to the seat of their understanding. Y'all ain't gonna help up in here. I'm not here advocating. I'm saying they have never been disciplined, they've never been told go to your room, you're not gonna watch any TV and you're not going online. They're scared of no one. 
And what happens after a generation is they start killing each other, stabbing each other, come on now, robbing each other. They become vulnerable and susceptible to gangs, to, 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 to drugs. And if it's a girl, she's now starved of male affection and attention and is now uh, open to any man who's ready to buy you a Diet Coke from McDonald's. He must love me. <laughs> yeah. not, not even a cocktail in the wine bar a diet coke not even a real coke let me tell you fathers you need to be present in the life of your children and I'm going to tell you why because if it's a girl no man should be able to sweep your daughter off of her feet because she should already, already have a standard of how men treat women. Oh, come on now. How men love women. And she, she needs to know that if he doesn't come up to that standard, he's not worthy. You look at the cookie jar, but you can't have any of the cookies. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all ain't going to help up in here. Because, yeah, you're nice and you're saying nice things, but I've grown up hearing nice things. You, you don't, I don't need you to tell me I'm beautiful. My daddy tells me every day. That's what's up. And we've seen the result of fa a fatherless generation. What do you think is about to happen in Christianity over the next 10 and 20 years now that there's a whole movement of people who believe that they can do successful Christianity without being part of a spiritual house? You are in theological error. You have to be part of a house. I didn't say you have to come every Sunday. I wish you would. But I didn't say you have to come every Sunday. I did not say any of that. I said that your identity and your destiny is linked to a spiritual house. Because the blessing of Abraham is going to come on the house. Because of our father who art in heaven. Because no weapon formed against you, the house, will prosper. Because many of the corporate kingdom promises have been personalized by us as if they will work for us as personal individuals, but they don't. They work for us because we are a family. There are some things that you were never meant to face by yourself. You aren't going to help. There are some things in life you were not meant to face alone. There are some things you have to have family to survive. Is this making sense? You have to have family to survive certain things. So this idea, this, this, this thing that you can be an independent, unaccountable, unrelated to a spiritual house person and survive is a nonsense. And we'll see the fruit of it in generations to come where Christians are utterly confused, utterly defenseless,
Almost like your, your immune, your spiritual immune system will be so shattered that you'll be susceptible to every demonic virus in the atmosphere because you've actually never had someone ram cod liver oil down your throat. <laughs> Am I hurting someone here? I'm hurting your feelings. Huh? <laughs> you've never had someone say no. Broccoli, it is. never had someone say Brussels sprouts are delicious. <laughs> and what happens is you end up in spiritual homes, not houses. What I mean by home? You know what I mean. You end up in the care system. Where people are simply doing a job looking after you. Don't care for your soul or your future. They're just doing a job. I don't want to be in a church where the preacher's just doing a job. I ain't going to hell. Because you're in a home, you're not in a house. I'm talking about a care home, that's where you are. In a temporary care home. And I think we found out that a great deal of abuse goes on in care homes. Not writing off all of them. I'm just saying it's come out that a lot of abuse because there's no relationship. There's a, tra there's a, there's a, there's, there's a conveyor belt. Oh, new one. We've got a new one coming in. Okay, this is a new one. Teach him a rope. This is what you're going to do. And you're gone. Church is not supposed to be a conveyor belt. where we just professionally look after people and go, goodbye. You need a family to survive. I have no idea why my brother started playing the music. I just know it's not Mark. Because I love Mark. He, he, he represents the new generation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but because Isaac's family, I just have to love him anyway. I choose your friends, not your family. Uh, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so, I didn't get to tribes. I'm going to have to get to tribes next week. Because your tribe actually describes your gift and calling. You know that you, you may not be in the same house as someone, but you will know that you're of the same tribe because of the gifts and the calling. The appetite and the obsession. We're the same tribe. Because some tribes are destined to have dominion in society, destined to impact on the culture. Some tribes are totally internal. They are just about spiritual life and what you don't want to do is find yourself sitting in a house that's not yours and in a tribe 
who's going one way when you're trying to go another. And when you're choosing to connect with a house, you need to run certain checks in terms of can this be a family? Two, is the destiny of the tribe is the territory because territory is promised to a tribe territory is the outcome the destination can I go where these people are going can I embrace those values what am I becoming as a result of my association I didn't slow down Isaac slowed me down <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it's about as much as I can do this week. Uh, this is a series. I'm going to unpack. I'm just going to unpack some things about houses, tribes, and territories. I'm going to talk about why the church was God's secret, what it is that makes us a church, and what is our ultimate destiny in God. But right now, I'm going to give an altar call. I'm going to call us out of the attitude that can only destroy your future, which is independent Lone Ranger me. I go where I want, when I want. Now, you know those people. Christmas. These people at Christmas have eaten five Christmas dinners. You know why? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going around to my brethren's house. You know what I mean? It's going to go around to my brethren. Then when I've gone to my brethren's house, then there's this girl that, you know, we're not together like, but I know she cooked for me. So I'm going to go and eat there. Then I got another one I'm going to eat there. And then, and then I'm going to go. There's a church meal. Then we're going to eat with the church. And okay, you just don't have Now, just because you don't biologically have a family doesn't mean you should not spiritually have a family. It's the spirit of the church that makes it a family. And I want us to come out of the attitude that I can do this without you, that you can do this without me. Because I want to make it very clear. Whatever I do, I can't do without you. And whatever you're doing, you can't do without me. And we can't do with it without each other. And there's a song that says, I need you, you need me, we're all a part of God's army. Mm. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit, or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, 
This is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.